Welcome to Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino, and I'm your host. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Fides is Latin for faith and truth, and that's what we do on this show is talk about truth and talk about faith. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the great song that you're hearing in the background is my friend Frank Camp. You could find him on Spotify. Great song. This song is called Heaven Can Wait. But thanks for being here, and let's get right to it. Okay, and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. I am your host. My name is Jerry Serino. Thank you for joining me. I am uh, very pleased today uh, to, to have on uh, as my guest, uh, Wesley J. Smith. Uh, Wesley Smith is the chair and senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. He's a, a writer. He's written 14 books. Uh, so very, very well accomplished uh, writer and author. Uh, Wesley, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jared. Good to talk to you. Yes, thank you. So what, what caught my eye for all of you listening is uh, uh, Wesley wrote a, a, an article, a piece on Rush Limbaugh. And it caught my eye because I'm a huge, huge admirer of Rush Limbaugh uh, for so many reasons, some of which uh, Wesley wrote about in his article. Uh, and so when I saw the article and I read it and I just loved it, it's, it's very well written and, um, you, you could feel, you could sort of feel your emotion in reading it. So this was, this is why I, I asked you on. So tell us a little bit about what motivated you to write this article on rush and, and all that went into it. Thank you for, for having me. Um, you know, I've been listening to Rush, uh, good grief, since the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and, uh, you know, you end up with, when you listen to him for that long, you end up kind of knowing who he is. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't write about him because he's a conservative. I didn't write about him because he's probably the most brilliant uh, radio broadcaster this side of Paul Harvey. Uh, as I said in the piece, he can uh, make a dropping of a pencil interesting radio. Mm -hmm. I wrote about him because of the way he's facing his own mortality. Uh, and uh, your listeners may not know, and your uh, viewers may not know, that uh, I'm a anti-euthanasia, anti-assisted suicide activist. And I've been doing that since 1993. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed during that time, and I've been really quite appalled by, is how we've moved away from the idea of facing terminal illness, very difficult circumstances, uh, and extolling that as a means as courage to turning suicide into courage and turning suicide into death with dignity. Uh, as if somebody who dies a natural death or dies in hospice hasn't died a, you know, with a dignified, in a dignified way. Uh, and, and Rush, you know, when he got that awful diagnosis, and then more recently, when he basically told his audience that the prognosis has become terminal, even though it was actually terminal back last year, and yet he continues on with his show, and yet he continues to care about what's happening in the world. He continues to care about his listeners, and it hit me very hard. He is patterning for all of us the way to face this kind of uh, difficulty in catastrophic illness uh, in a way that I haven't seen since Michael Landon did it uh, way back probably before you were born, Jerry, uh, in the early 90s. Uh, Michael Landon 
and I remember it well. I was a younger man then. My hair was a different color. <laughs> but uh, Michael Landon was a very popular television star. He had been uh, Little Joe on Bonanza. He'd been Pa on Little House on the Prairie. He was an angel in Highway to Heaven. He was very popular, you know, A-list. And he came down with uh, terminal pancreatic cancer. And back in the early 90s, when somebody came down with that kind of a cancer diagnosis, usually they went and they hid in a dark room mm -hmm. because it was considered kind of shameful, shameful to have cancer. Michael Landon went on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, which at that time was just a hugely popular show. Yeah. And they had a frank conversation about the diagnosis and the prognosis, which was really unprecedented. And he helped a lot of people, Michael Landon, who are going through the same thing. I think Rush is doing that too. And he's doing it at a time of COVID, the crisis. And he is, he's basically saying, look, I may be dying, but I'm not dead. Mm -hmm. And he has continued to live life to the fullest. That to me is modeling death, modeling dignity, not the idea that uh, we should go out and get poison pills or have a doctor give us a lethal jab. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, like I said, I, I have a story of the first time I really listened to Rush was when I was right out of college. I, I, I'm very well uh, versed in Michael Landon, by the way. I might look a little younger, but he was definitely someone we watched as kids. One of the few uh, programs we were typically allowed to watch <laughs> back then. But um, the, the, I, I had heard of Rush Limbaugh, but when I was right out of college, I moved away. And um, I did a job where I was in the car a lot. And I was driving with my dad who came and visited me. And we were driving back home from New Jersey, where I was living, to Ohio, where, I, where we're from. And uh, as we're driving, he says, oh, it's, it's, it's noon. It's rush time. And I said, oh, okay. And he said, yeah, you got to listen to Rush. He's just right, right? And, and I've listened to him ever since then. And like you said, I feel like if I walked past him in the, in the airport, he would stop and talk to me because he knew me right? You have that relationship with someone like him. And he talks about that. And um, I, I've noticed um, many of the things too. What, what I love for you to comment on too, because the way I, I had actually found your article was through um, Bobby Schindler. And Bobby's been on my program. Uh, he's the brother of Terry Schiavo, uh, who um, has, it was a very famous case for those listening. Um, I'm a very close friend of Bobby's. Okay, excellent, excellent. And, uh, I, I worked yeah. very hard on the Terry Schiavo case, wrote a lot about it to try to help save her. Excellent, yeah, I, I remember it. And I remember Rush being very, very passionate when that was going on. I remember listening to him and him talking about it. Uh, do you remember that? Do you remember what he was, you know, he was yeah, obviously he wrote, defending He her. read one of my pieces on the air. I was in a gas station. I was driving to go see my mother from San Francisco to Los Angeles, and I was in a gas station, and Rush was on the radio, and suddenly he was reading my piece. So, yes, I remember. Oh, wow. It was, uh, quite remarkable, yeah. Wow, wow, that's amazing. I did not know that. Wow, that's great. Um, and, and I also saw him, uh, so I'm, I'm Catholic, and uh, I, I saw him doing the same sort of defending Pope John Paul when he was dying, people weren't calling for him to, you know, commit assisted suicide, but he was dying over the course of a long period of time, very publicly. And um, he was, you know, inspired rush was by, uh, um, by his courage. And uh, certainly people like you who were, were 
trying to save Terry Schiavo. So I feel like he's kind of giving back in a way. And that's kind of what you talk about in the piece quite a bit. Well, he's had, he's had a consistent, he's had a consistent ethic mm-hmm. in that regard. And, and, but, you know, none of us know how we'll react when, when that kind of a situation arises in our own lives. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, um, I'm pretty uh, dis- uh not disappointed because I didn't expect it, but one would think that the usual enemies, people who hate Rush Limbaugh would actually take a step back and say, you know, this guy is, you know, fighting terminal lung cancer. He's now missing at least half of his shows because of treatments or or whatever it might be. Uh, We can, you know, appreciate he's probably having some very difficult uh, uh, experiences, obviously, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and say, look, look at how he's continuing on, and and with, that could start a, an important conversation about how we deal with terminal illness, how we deal with serious disability, how we value people like Terry Shivo, even though she was terribly cognitively disabled. But no, there's there's none of that because the, you know I think some people can't get past the politics. But this is beyond the politics. Mm-hmm. This is really important stuff. You know, hospice. I've been a hospice volunteer. I've written in defense of hospice repeatedly. I just had a piece in the uh, National Review on uh, defending hospice. Hospice is the true death with dignity because you are treating people as patients, as people. Assisted suicide and euthanasia is abandonment. It is saying, oh yes, your life is so not worth living that we will not only not try to prevent your suicide, we will actually help you do it. That's a devastating message to people. And uh, I think it is leading to an increase. I'd like to see some formal studies done, but all this assisted suicide advocacy, I think, is leading to an increase in suicides overall, because the message is that when life gets tough, suicide is an acceptable way to deal with the issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well put. Um, thank you. I, I were a, My show was a big defender of life and um, what you're talking about with assisted suicide and euthanasia is probably not talked about enough um, in general. So thanks for all that you do. Um, so I want to talk, you mentioned in the piece, and this was something I knew from being a uh, Rush fan and listener for, gosh, over 20 years, is that he's had a couple other hardships in his life and right. and he dealt with them sort of publicly. Can you talk about that for those that might not know? Right. Uh, once he, he got it, became addicted to opioids mm-hmm. uh, after I think it was a back injury. And, yep. uh, you know, that's a very difficult uh, situation to overcome. A lot of people go to rehab and so forth and, and aren't able to kick it, but he was able to do that in the midst of a what I think was a, a politically motivated criminal attempt to put him in jail, mm-hmm. uh, which ultimately failed. Um, but what really hit me, uh, and I was just in awe, I've been a talk radio host, by the way, not not of Russia's caliber, I was kind of like the fourth talk show host on a three talk show host station. I was the guy who came in and filled in for people on vacation or when they got sick and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I know what, what it is to do talk radio. And he went stone cold deaf as a talk radio host. And I remember listening uh, at the time and he started to slur his words a little bit. His voice lost some of its timber. And I was worried that, gee, is he having a stroke? Is he having mini strokes and so forth? It turned out he went over a period of like six weeks. He lost his hearing. And as a talk radio host, that of course would kill most people's careers and understandably what he did apparently was he got people to come in and do simultaneous um, transcripts 
so that when the caller came in and, and called, he would see a screen, what was being said, and then he would respond. Mm -hmm. And eventually he got a cochlear implant, which allowed him to hear again, and he just kept on moving. But that's the kind of grit uh, that this man has shown. And I think it shows a tremendous strength of character. And as I was um, pondering what was happening to him, and it really struck me, you know what, somebody has to say this because he's not getting the props he needs, not needs, he doesn't need it but the props he deserves. And, and I want people to think about if Rush can do it, and I think this is part of what he's doing, if he can do this in the Klieg lights of tremendous fame and, and hatred by you know half the society, mm -hmm. then we mm -hmm. can too. And, and But there, all of us have a stake in that, in the sense, not only if we get sick ourselves, but in reaching out and being with other people, friends, loved ones, members of our church, members of our community, who fall prey to a very serious illness. Nobody should die alone. And I've, in fact, if, the, if you know, the Catholic Church, um, that should be one of their missions, and I think is. I mean, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa. Uh, uh, is uh, is a classic example. I mean, more, more than classic. I mean, she's stellar, obviously. Yeah. But that's the, that's the model. And uh, I think if I, I wrote a book called Culture of Death, which is now subtitled The Age of Duharm Medicine, where I get into a lot of the bioethical problems we're having. And I actually had the chance uh, when I was writing the first edition of that book to interview Dame Cecily Saunders, great medical humanitarian who created the modern hospice movement. And I, she gave me 30 minutes and it was at her own at St. Christopher's Hospice in London. And she basically was so against assisted suicide. She said, look, that is denying the equal dignity of my patients. Mm -hmm. She said, I can control their pain. I can engage uh, with chaplaincy and social services and so forth to help their existential suffering. The idea of I'm a dignity, I'm not worthy of being loved, I'm a burden, which is, by the way, why most people do commit assisted suicide, according to the statistics. Those are terrible issues, but they can be overcome if we all will engage with people who are dying. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most uh, interesting, do, do I have time to tell a hospice story? Sure, go. For, it's I, all uh, yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I became a hospice volunteer uh, for a period of time. And my first patient was a fellow named Ernie. And Ernie was an old Italian man, uh, which I had a soft spot in my heart because my grandmother and mother were both full-blooded Italian. I had an Italian grandmother, so you can imagine uh, how, how I was spoiled. And so did uh, I. <laughs> yeah. And um, Ernie uh, had very serious congestive heart failure. He was in hospice. And the first time I was introduced to Ernie, I went into the room and his son was living now with Ernie in Ernie's house. And as soon as his son left, Ernie actually fell into my arms and said, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. I said, Ernie, why do you want to die? I'm a burden. I'm a burden. I'm a burden. I said, no, Ernie, you're not a burden. Your son loves you. Your daughter-in-law. I'm a burden. <coughs> Excuse me. And over a period of time, I would come once a week and spend four hours with Ernie, and it was different days of the week. And I noticed that people were coming, you know, with souffles and cookies and all of that kind of thing that neighbors do. And I realized Ernie must have given a lot of people love because it's like putting it into a savings account. It was all coming back now to Ernie with interest. Mm -hmm. And there was one fellow, uh, I don't remember his name, but I call him Joe. And Joe had a very heavy voice. And every time that I was over, and as I said, I went on different days of the week, Joe would come over and visit and I would 
go to a separate room and I'd let the old gentleman talk as Joe was Ernie's age. Ernie was in his early 90s. And uh, Joe had a very heavy voice and he'd say, Ernie, you got to fight, Ernie, you got to fight. Well, I lost Ernie. He didn't die. He got better. He yes. got thrown out of hospice because he, <laughs> he, he got better. And the last time I was with him, uh, he took and he played the mandolin for me as solo. And then he looked at me, he said, and he raised his finger like this. Wesley, you know, my friend, the Joe? I said, yeah, I know Joe. You stay away from Joe, Wesley. I said, why? He's an undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I can promise you yeah. that when I first went into that room with Ernie and he said, I want to die, I want to die, I want to die. And at that time in California, assisted suicide was not legal. He would have taken those pills. Yeah. He was in that kind of shape. He was that distraught. He was that convinced that his life was no longer worth living. And look at what he would have missed. Mm -hmm. Now, most people don't end up getting kicked out of hospice like Ernie. Well, some do. Uh, Art Bookwald, the great humorist, was in hospice uh, with kidney failure. And he got kicked out of hospice and wrote another book before he ultimately passed away. But let's just uh, honestly, my mother died in hospice. Most people do not get out of hospice in, right. the, in that way. But life goes on. And the idea of hospice is life with dignity. Yeah. And that's what we should be focusing on, not this idea of taking poison pills or lethal jabs and the idea of, of extolling people who commit suicide um, like the media did to Brittany Maynard, that poor young woman who had brain cancer and they turned her into a, uh, a uh, poster uh, woman for, uh, for assisted suicide. Yeah. It's terrible. She was given nothing but encouragement in suicide and then was named the woman of the uh, um, outstanding woman, I think as of 2014 by CNN, because she killed herself. Wow. Uh, it's just really something that I think we should think about and move back towards the idea of Michael Landon and Rush Limbaugh and, and my mother who faced it and my father who died of cancer in hospice and all of us who are eventually, if we don't get hit by a truck, going to probably uh, end up with some kind of a terminal diagnosis. Let's help each other face that with the kind of equanimity and poise that Rush is facing it. Uh, so that when uh, we're gone, people can look back and say, yeah, he really did fought the good fight and he lived the good life. Yeah, that that's a, that's really, really inspiring. Great, great stories and uh, really inspiring uh, the way you, uh, you you're really trying to art, are articulating that people's lives matter. Right. That in, that's right. They matter. And as long as they're breathing, they yeah. matter and they matter equally. Yeah. Yeah, and that's it's really great. And I, I had the experience in the last few years of um, a, a, my grandfather who was in, uh, you know, the final stages, and we were visiting him. And you know, we nobody. It was really inspiring to us to be there and to you know be together as a family and with him and pray with him. And I had another relative who would that was you know really hard on the very close family but everybody was there with her to, to almost the end. And then her close family was there. People were praying. We were with her. It was very inspiring and a tribute to her and to my grandfather. Um, and, you know, just be, in fact, sometimes it is hard. It's very yeah. hard, but that means all, it makes it all the more important. Right. Right. It's only hard. I had someone tell me once it's only hard when someone dies, if that person meant something to people. Right? Yeah, Otherwise, that's a sign of love. Grief yeah. is, a, is an aspect of love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very well put. Um, and I, I've actually had a couple people on my program too, 
besides Bobby, who've um, up uh, two people from Canada who are fighting the government, trying to force this on them in hospices. So uh, this is something not only we want to There's a hospice in Vancouver, Canada, the BC. Yeah. They're, they're actually shutting down because they refuse to euthanize people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I did was uh, Delta hospital. Yeah. That was Angelina Ireland was uh, on my program uh, before I've, I've, heard her talk at another event I, i've written about that case it's really um a, a, a terrible travesty and yeah. it shows that the culture of death brooks no dissent right and right. they because the reason it's only a 10-bed hospice right. but the reason they're closing it down is because when the hospice says no we're not going to do that it's wrong that sends a moral message and that's a moral message that the government doesn't want hurt yeah yeah that that's exactly right um and angelina is uh had been fighting the government uh, sure for quite a while uh yeah. she's courageous too well well i i'm i'm gonna end it here just because i think we could t- i i think i could hear a few more stories that i have a feeling you have um but uh but won't keep you on for that uh your your writing is is fantastic uh as i said you have a lot of books where can people find you i'd love to get people obviously to read your books and continually read your articles they're very excellent oh thank you if you go to uh, uh, the discovery institute website discovery.org and go into the center on human exceptionalism i've got an articles archive we have a blog called humanize i'm also on national review i write for the epic times and i also write for the american spectator my twitter is at the wesley j smith and i'm also on facebook excellent okay so so please check out wesley j smith a great writer, great author um, about great things he's writing about and speaking about. Uh, so Wesley, thanks for, for taking the time to be on my program here in the evening. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, your words and your written and your uh, verbal words are inspiring and great and very much needed in this day and age. So uh, thank you so much for being here and con- continue doing what you're doing. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. Okay, my pleasure. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Fides Podcast. Don't forget about the uh, upcoming uh, Bringing America Back to Life uh, pro-life convention here in Cleveland. Uh, You could check it out online, uh, bringingamericabacktolife.org. We'd love to uh, have you be a part of that if possible. Uh, Again, thanks for listening to Fides Podcast and see you next time.